I hope that our study of Luke's gospel is uh, helping you to see how to better apply the things that Jesus teaches us, to see how he lived, how he treated others, how he felt about others, the way he approached the truth, and the way he approached people who needed help, and in so doing, Hopefully, we will all learn how to better live our lives as Jesus would have us to do, seeing as how he's the perfect example. I hope that's what this class is doing for you. It seems to help me to do that. And there it is. Thinking back. That's back backwards. I tried to find a font that would type backwards letters. But uh, they didn't have that, so. Thinking back. It's reviews all it is. What turned out to be controversial about Jesus healing the paralytic? Remember he was in that house and the guys couldn't get their friend to him, so they went up top of the house, tore up the roof, and let him down into the building from the outside. What was controversial about that? It was how Jesus did it. He said, son, your sins are forgiven you. And they said, what? That's the idea. Blasphemy. Because who can forgive sins but God? And what did they miss? He was God. He was God. So I believe he was trying to make a point. How did Jesus refer to himself in that context, in the process of this healing? Do you remember? Son of man, son of man. What does that go back to? He didn't make reference to this, but Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel has a vision, and in that vision he sees one like the son of man coming before the ancient of days. You remember what he's given when he comes before the ancient of days? A kingdom and power and glory and dominion. That's Daniel's vision, and that's being fulfilled in Jesus right here. By the way, you remember the text that Jesus read when he was in the synagogue at Nazareth? Isaiah chapter 61, and he told them then, this scripture is fulfilled in your eyes. And then they started talking about that. That didn't get them upset. What got them upset, do you remember what he said that got them upset? And he wasn't a Jew. Right. There was only one woman sustaining and she wasn't a Jew. Right. That's what got him upset. Because they were thinking, how can I say it? Nationalistically rather than evangelistically. They were thinking in terms of the the Jews are the primary people. And all you you Gentiles are, are not. And that's what they got upset about. So, anyway. What turned out to be controversial about the reception at Matthew's house? Remember Matthew's through a reception? It was the people he was eating with. You eat and drink with sinners. And Jesus would have said, he didn't say it, but he could have said, who else is there? (laughs) So... That was the big controversy there, and we are back tonight into chapter five. Uh, we're gonna, we were gonna finish it last week, weren't we? That's okay. 
I'm, I'm resigning myself to the idea that if, if we're reading and studying and thinking about these things, and if we are, in fact, growing to be a little more understanding of who Jesus was and what he did, then it, it might not be that big a deal if, if we don't altogether finish Luke's gospel. Here's what I would like for you to do. Read ahead. That's okay if you do that. You know you can do that. You don't have to have my permission, but I'm giving it to you anyway. Read ahead in Luke's gospel, and that way, Lord willing, we get to some of these things, you'll be able to go, oh, yeah, I, I remember reading about that. And you might have some um, uh, questions, not questions, commentary that you can offer about that, things you've thought about, observations that you've made. Uh, all that is excellent in a Bible class. So I need a reader for 29 through 39 of Chapter 5. We've already read part of it last week, but we're going to pick it up in the context. All right, Will, 29 through 39, Chapter 5. Thank you. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax gatherers and other people, other people who were reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat? drink with the tax gatherers and sinners. And Jesus answered and said and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same, but yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, You cannot make the attendants of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? But the days will come, and when the bridegroom and when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. And he was also telling them a parable. No one tears a piece of new garment and puts it on an old garment, otherwise he will both tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new. For he says, the old is good enough. Thank you, Will. So they're in Matthew's house, and they're doing what? Eating a meal. And so the Pharisees have a question. How come the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers? Now, isn't that interesting? These guys know what John's disciples do. They must be paying attention. And that wasn't happening in a corner. John had disciples. And they would fast, they would offer prayer. These guys knew that. So they've, they've observed the behavior of John and his disciples, and now they're seeing Jesus on the scene. And they are feasting in the house of a tax collector. So, his answer is, you can't make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? How's he referring to himself? He's the bridegroom. He is the bri who's the bride? Well, she hadn't been introduced yet, but we know that's who the bride is. 
So Jesus is seeing himself and speaking of himself as the bridegroom. He's got a wedding coming. And while he's with his disciples, his servants, they're not going to fast. This is the time to celebrate. We've got the bridegroom here. Later on, they'll fast. Later on. Let's see what he says about that. Verse 35, but the days will come. And when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. What's that all about? It, it doesn't occur so much in Luke's gospel. In other gospels, the record is very clear that Jesus is telling them, I'm going to be arrested, tried, crucified, and buried, and raised on the third day. Mark records it the most. He records at least nine times that Jesus tells them this. A couple of times he's extremely clear about it, very detailed. Other times he just makes reference to it, but it's, they are clear references to this. And those are only the times that are recorded. So we don't know how many other times he might have told them this as they were moving through the countryside preaching the gospel. This was a theme. And Jesus is bringing it up here. You can't make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom's with them. But the time's coming when the bridegroom will be taken away. And then he tells this parable. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment, puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he'll both tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. What, what's that all about? What happens to a, a new piece of material back in the olden days? The, the old garment has already shrunken up. It's changed all. It's going to change. Kids today don't know how good they've got it. Used to be when you bought a pair of blue jeans, what'd you have to do? You had to break them in. You had to wear them for a couple of weeks, roll around in the dirt and the mud and the grease and the grime and grit. And break. By the time you had them breaking in, you had the knees wore out, and then you had to, had to get patches, and then you had to break in your patches. I'm an old guy. I know this stuff. You bought a pair of shoes, what'd you have to do? You had to break them in. <laughs> but we didn't have it as bad as they had it back in the day because I, I read, you know, Civil War soldiers had to be equipped with boots. But it took a long time to make a boot for a left and a boot for a right. So the shoemaker just had one shoe lath for a boot. And you got the boots and you put them on your feet and you got in the water and you stood in the water until they were soaked and then you wore them until they, sh they shaped themselves according to your foot. Can you imagine being an a guy that walked <laughs> in the Civil War? <laughs> uh, yeah, we got it good today. But Jesus is talking about this is the nature of material. You can't put new cloth on an old garment to patch it because... As soon as you wash it, that new material will shrink up and tear the garment. And what about the wine? You got new wine? You got to put it in new wineskins. Now, we can talk about all the, the physics about how the, the change is made, but what's the whole point of these two pictures that he's given, these word pictures? What's the point? Okay, that's what he's getting at. And he's saying, everything has a place, and you need to put everything in its place. And there are going to be some changes made. 
And you need to understand that these changes are coming. What's he say about the old wine there at the end? We don't want the new wine. Why? Because the old's good enough. We don't need this new stuff. You're used to the old stuff. And so even if there's new stuff, and haven't you ever said that about something? Somebody introduces something that's new and different, especially your five-year-olds. Try to get them to taste something new. Every five-year-old, whatever their favorite food is, it used to be something they hated. And they knew they hated it because they saw it. And that's how you know you hate something when you're a five-year-old. You just take a look at it, you know. I remember Christie's. It's got white sus in it, onions. It's got red sus in it, tomatoes. And so you remember those? It's, it's cute now. <laughs> you used to go, oh, I kids won't eat anything. So you let them go hungry. Uh, seriously, that was... That's the best thing, to train children how to eat. Let them go hungry. Don't you moms, you moms, don't you go around fixing 14 different things at supper time because your kids are finicky picky eaters. Fry those chicken livers and put them in front of them. Get the ketchup out if you need to. But, but everything has a place, and that's what Jesus is trying to say here, I believe. You, you don't put the wrong kind of material on a, on a garment to patch it. You, you don't put the, the wine... The new wine and an old wine, everything has a place, and you better put it where it belongs. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he talked about a Bible student who does what with the word? He rightly divides it. What does that mean except this? You figure out where it all goes and how it all applies and what its context is, and the context determines everything. What was it somebody said? A text without a context is a pretext. And if you don't know what that means, write it down and go home and think about it. But all that's saying is you have to take everything as it is given in its context. And if you've ever had your words pulled out of context, you know how frustrating that can be. You want everything to be in context, everything to be in its proper place, and that's what Jesus is saying. Yeah, we're, we're eating here at Matthew's house, because I'm the bridegroom and I'm with my disciples and, and we're celebrating right now, but the time's coming when I'm going to be gone and then there won't be any celebrating. But all that will change too in time. What does Jesus say in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will open to me, I'll come in. And we're going to have supper. We're going to sit down and have a meal. That's how you fellowship. In the Jewish mind especially, that's how you fellowship. But it's not just the Jewish mind. You go back in history, when a covenant was being made, eating would take place. And that's what the sacrifices were. Sacrifices of the Jewish covenant. You would come, you'd offer your sacrifice, and then you'd eat some of it. The meat was for you. Some of it was for the priests specifically. But, but there was always eating involved with the sacrifices of God. All right. Any observations about any of that? Any things you want to point out or things you don't want to pass over before we move on? All right. Chapter 6. Oh, there it is. Who wants to read 1 through 11? Anybody? Oh, Will, Will's dying to read again, but there's Jamie. We'll let Jamie read this time. And then 12 through 19, anybody want to read 12 through 19? Shannon, 
Shannon will read. All right. And then Charles is next if we get any farther. Jesus was going through grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The son of the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were working, sorry, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with a shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy it? He looked around at them, and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he did so, and the hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, son of Alphaeus, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him, because power was coming from him and healing them all. Wow. Thank you. They're eating again. This time they're walking through a grain field. And if you're familiar with wheat well enough, you know that you can just pluck the heads when it's ripe and roll it in your hands. And the kernel of wheat that's inside that husk will be loosened from that husk by the rolling of your hands. You can blow away the chaff because it's really lightweight and just pop those kernels in your mouth. And that's what they were doing. I'm sure they were just filling themselves full. That's a hard way to eat, but that's what they were doing. What day was it? Sabbath day. It's always on the Sabbath day. What was her question? Why do you do what's not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, really, was that not lawful to do that on the Sabbath? What was the Sabbath rule you, you don't work all right is what's that travel restriction travel so far from your there there was a travel restriction there was an understanding that there was a sabbath day's journey it's hard to find that in the law itself but but it was there 
and you weren't supposed to do anything that was obvious work. I, I should have brought it. I've got a Mishnah back there, and I should have looked up that passage that talks about, and I probably told you this before, if you are a tailor and you're working with your needle on Friday afternoon and it's time to close up shop and you need to get home before uh, the Sabbath evening 6 o'clock overtakes you and you think, oh, man, what am I going to do? With, oh, I'll just put that needle in my garment here to hold it in place while I do these other things. And then you forget that you've got that needle stuck in your clothes and you leave from work and the Sabbath overtakes you while you're carrying that needle in your clothes, you are guilty. That, Jesus will say, you guys bind these rules on other people and you wouldn't lift them with your little finger. That's the mindset. That's the mindset of these guys when they enter the house of who? The house of God, verse 4. Oh, nope, that's, he's talking about David. That's, that's another Sabbath down in verse 6. See, we haven't even left that one yet. I'm getting ahead of myself. But he talks about David. By the way, this is how you rightly divide Scripture. This is one of the ways. You find something and you use the context to show, well, here's, here is a, we would call it a precedent, perhaps. Here's how you show that what we're doing is okay. David went in to the place, to the, house of God and ate the consecrated bread. And it wasn't lawful, quote unquote, to eat the consecrated bread. But they did it. And then he says in verse 5, what? Son of man. There it is again. Son of man is what? Lord of what? The Sabbath. You read the creation account, everything was spoken into existence by God. The only things that weren't spoken into existence were Adam and Eve. He made them differently. But everything else, the universe itself, spoken into existence. Who was the voice of God but Jesus Christ himself? And so it says on the Sabbath day he rested and so sanctified the Sabbath. This is the one who did all of that. And they're calling him on the carpet for it. It's, it's almost tragically comical. They don't know who he is. They don't accept who he is. And their mindset is not going to allow them to do that because in the house of God on the Sabbath, when your focus should be on God and his kindness and his grace and his mercy, what do they see happen before them? But one of their brethren who has a withered hand What does Jesus do? He has him stand up, and with a word, he resolves his issue with the withered hand. And you remember how everybody stood up and cheered, how wonderful that was for that guy? What does the text say? They were filled with rage. Filled with rage. You see someone you should be caring about, Resolved of an issue that's been plaguing them for who knows how long. And instead of glorifying God and thanking God, you're filled with rage. Now, you and I will encounter people like this. Just make sure we're not one of them. 
but we'll encounter people that no matter what you say and what you do, they're not going to be touched with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God is going to mean nothing to them because of their mindset. Hopefully, they'll change that because it can change, but there are people like that, and I want to make sure that I'm never one of those because I'm sure none of these guys ever got up one morning and said, you know what? I want to be hateful and ugly. I want to be so into God that I think nobody's as good as me. But that's exactly what got them to this point. They were keeping the law so well that they knew they were right because they kept the law so well and nobody else was keeping the law as well as they were keeping the law and they became the keepers of the law. And here's God himself telling them, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And they're going, what? Forgive sins? What? Only God can do that. Yeah, right. And so Jesus all along the way is showing them his power. And instead of using that power to gain money for himself, he's using that power to help people and to explain who he is. Jamie. And, you know, we are fortunate to have the completion of the Bible yes. and to know everything that is written and that has happened. And I find myself sometimes, and I'm sure other people do, that I am a Pharisee because I know and I keep the word and I read and I study and I look at things black and white. Like, why are they doing that? that? That's blatantly not what they're supposed to be doing and that grace and mercy that we are supposed to have with everyone gets lost because we get so tied to the letter of the law, even as modern Christians. And so whenever I see passages about Pharisees and Sadducees, it's always very aware because it is so easy to fall into that hole of it says don't work on the Sabbath and he's doing work. Well, what does work mean? Well, is it, you know, force times mass or force equals mass times acceleration or I forget the formula for work, but. That's okay. We don't know it either. (laughs) (laughs) What is is that that definition of what that that work is? Well, surely um, the. Going out and rescuing a sheep on the Sabbath. Well, yeah, I'd do that. I've got livestock. If well, sure. something happened, I've missed service because I had an animal that was injured that needed to go to the vet. That's just that's what we do to take care of, of the things around us. But it's so easy for us to turn into those kind of people with those rabbits. Marty? It's, it's absolutely true. I, I, I was thinking the same thing she was thinking. Good. But so my, my niece, she told me... Um, uh, the, the church that their congregation they bought a building and it was uh, a, de- a, de- a denomination you had used to meet there and so the, the, the church bought it and they but their problem was that they didn't there weren't any classrooms in it the uh, auditorium was the biggest part but there weren't really classrooms and she said she said it's because the church really focuses the um, I guess the church focuses on education biblical education a lot so when we have buildings we have plenty of classrooms but not but other religious groups that's not necessarily what makes them distinct in that way they might be they may have larger auditoriums and stuff like that so to jamie's point i just keep reading this and i keep thinking i know we're not better than them i know we're not better than them. there has to be something that we do that's very similar to this trap and so when I think about how much 
the church today values education, biblical education, so much that we put it into our buildings and everything, classrooms, mm -hmm. then we might, we, we, we really value that. We treasure it. And so there could be pit, there probably are pitfalls that we're falling in because we, you know, we make our education and our knowledge a really big deal. And we're, we're probably proud of it. Or maybe, I don't know. Well, just think about the irony. Well, the three categories of sin. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. And what's the third one? Boastful pride of life. Can we be boastful about our godliness? Can we be proud of our godliness? That's where these guys were. They were so into God. Actually, what were they into? They, they were into the law. And they got into the law so far that they forgot about the one who gave them the law. And they wanted to do the law so right. Because think, think back to their history. Why did they go off into captivity? They neglected the law. God sent Amos. He said, God's going to send a famine in the land. Not a famine of food, but a famine of the word. Because you don't care about what the word says. And that, that's what happened. And so they came back and, all right, we're going to fix this. We're going to be so into the word, we're, we're never going to leave off what God said. We're going to take everything God said, and we're going we're to make so many rules based on those things that it's, it's going to make it so we can do it all perfectly. That's the idea they had. And that's why they made all those rules. For example, we might say, uh, can you use glass communion cups? Like they did in the old days when the church was faithful? Or can you be liberal and use plastic communion cups like we do today? Now, I see the grins on your faces. You, you see where I'm going with this. That's the kind of thing you can get into. Do we meet at the scriptural time for Bible class at 930? Or are we going to be liberal and go to 9 o'clock? Or yeah, There's so many things like that that... Today, we could look at and go, well, we're, we're, better, we're a little better than them because we do it this way. And it, it's just, it's like the Bible class. Yeah, we, we teach our people the Bible, so we're better than those denominations that don't. Well, duh, is teaching people the Bible better? Yes, amen. Nobody's going to be in disagreement with that. But to, to see that as a matter of arrogant pride, Jamie. I've, I've often thought, and this is going to get me stoned, sometimes <laughs> we spend too much time in the theology instead of applying that theology. We have people all over the world who are excellent, scriptural, knowledgeable people who go out and educate and we learn from and, and everything you could ever want and every kind of interpretation Yet we've got homeless guys at I-40 and Choctaw Road begging for food. And it's like we, we learn so much that we miss the point in our own application. And that, yes, it's great to know every little Roman thing that happened and all the, 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 the stuff that went up to it. But if we miss the point of taking care of our brothers and taking care of those with less fortunate, and we have clothes and they need clothes and we have food and they need food, it's all for Right. It's like we're tithing mint and dill and cumin. Yeah. And we forget mercy, faithfulness, justice, 
the weightier things of the law. Maybe I'll do my bucket sermon again. That'll fix everything. You remember my bucket sermon? Pick up the buckets along the highway. You can do that if, you're, if you just keep your eye open. You start watching for the buckets. They're all over the interstate. And what do all those buckets have in common? What they have in common is they're empty. If they weren't empty, they wouldn't be flying off those trucks and land all over the highway. Except for the one that I know somebody threw away because it had a lid on it and a dead possum inside. <laughs> that, was, that was the exception to the rule. Uh, by that, I, I did find that on a city street, not on the interstate. But the ones on the interstate fly off the trucks because they're empty. And Jesus is talking about the weightier things of the law. If, if we will practice the weightier things, not just know the weightier things, it's one thing, it's a great thing to know, oh yeah, Jesus talked about those three things, the weightier things. And I know, I have the, I know the names of the apostles. I can name the books of the Bible, frontwards and backwards. But do you love people? Do you care about people? Do you reach out your hand to, to help People who feel like they're, they're left out, who are left out. Are we doing anything for folks who are hurting? That's the real question about the test of our Christianity and, and who we are uh, as God. Luke wrote about the things that Jesus Christ taught and did. That's how he described it. We should be teaching, but we should also be doing all the time. And, and not one without the other. And don't teach so much or don't do so much that you get proud of yourself. Look at me. Look at all I'm doing for the Lord. Later on, Luke's going to talk about these two guys that go to the temple to pray. I think we talked about them briefly last week. Uh, and the, the Pharisee looked up to heaven and said, God, you're lucky to have me. Look at all the stuff I do and what did the publican do? Hit himself in the chest, wouldn't even look up, said, be merciful to me, a sinner. That, Oh, Johnny, yeah, you had your hand up a while ago. Well, I'm just, I've always thought, um, I thought that the, El, uh, the uh, Pharisees interpreted the laws, the law of Moses, all the laws, and uh, specified in many writings uh, the specific examples that uh, one of which you gave with the tailor's needle but I, I've always understood that that was uh, when you boil it down that was the Pharisees interpretation of the law and right. and we know that different sects different groups of Pharisees had different opinions about some uh, of those laws. Uh, and so I think we need to be careful when we think that, uh, well, that was, that was uh, yeah, that's the law. Well, it, it's an interpretation of the law. And, I, and I, in some cases, a weak interpretation. For example, you had to wash your hands. That was, that was, that was part of the ritual of, of worship at the temple. But how much water was enough water to wash your hands scripturally? You remember that passage? There isn't one. And so, in the Mishnah, it says, it has to be as much water as would fill the mouth of an adult you. How do you even measure that? But that's what 
that's what the law says according to the Pharisees who wrote the Mishnah. So you read these things and you go, how much water is that? I don't know, but if you don't have that much water, your hands aren't really washed, are they? This is the kind of stuff, the minutiae, that they got into and became proud about and arrogant about and became to, to be people withstanding in Judaism because of this kind of junk when it was never God's intention that that be the focus. What's always been God's focus? When Jesus said, asked about the greatest commandment, who answered and what did he say? No way. He said, all right, yeah, that was. <laughs> they knew what the greatest commandment was, love God and love your fellow man is the second greatest. They knew that because that was written in the book, love God and love your fellow man. And in the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapter 6, he said, you've heard that it was said. And what did he tell them when he said that? Here's what the proclaimers of the law, the keepers of the law, tell you. And then what did he say? But I say to you, and he's, come, he's bringing it back to the reality of what the law actually taught and what the law actually said. Because we can, with our desire to do everything right, and I have that desire, I want to do everything right, well, how can I know that I'm doing everything right? Well, if I bring it in closer and closer and closer and closer, just like sighting in a rifle, all you ladies know all about that, don't you? You, you don't want the shot to go out, you want it to be focused. And so you, you make the law fine enough and small enough so that you can know, I did it. Because if it's, if it's any more broader than that, then what do you have to go on? You go to go on faith. Yeah, I got to go on faith. That's what God said, so I, I think I'm doing it. Well, I don't want to have to do that. I'd rather know. And the only way I can know is to make a law that says if I do, okay, I can do that. I'll tie the mint and dill and coo and I'm good. Me and God. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe not. Kendall. So, interesting in Mark, it talks about this story. He says It says that he was angered and he was grieved at their hardness, right? So right. it's a matter of the heart at, at the end of the day. But I thought of is why didn't Jesus wait? Why didn't <laughs> right? Jesus wait? Why couldn't he wait? He could wait, right, if he wanted to. But he was fulfilling something greater than himself. He was fulfilling his, his what he had intended to do when he came here. And it was to convict people in their hearts of what is right and love and God and faithfulness to him is what's right, not the rules and regulations that they've imposed on people. I remember one of my friends told me at preaching school that he went to preaching school and uh, he went there and he, there were several people arguing about certain things, right? Predestination, um, whatever, whatever the case may be, instrumental music. And there'd all be all these arguments that he said he called his dad one time and he said, Dad, what do I do? What, how do I get involved in this? He said, don't get involved. All what you need to do is pray and focusing on, on the word, doing the, the Lord's will and, and getting closer to God because at the end of those three, two years, those people are still going to be arguing about those topics and you're going to be closer to God. So, you know, it's just the reality is we can get caught up in what's right and wrong all the time, but we're not 
drawing nearer to God doing it. And that should be the whole point. That, that's the whole point of, of Bible study. It's not simply to learn. You, you want to learn, but you want your learning to draw you closer to the Lord. Don? Give an example of what he's trying to say, if it's, if it's not clear enough. But, because it does say some things in Exodus and in different places on what the law says. Let me just give you one example. In Exodus 35, you shall not kindle a fire of any, any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. You're not supposed to light a fire in your house. You've know, you got an infant son. An infant baby, and you need to feed them. You can't light a fire to cook the food for the baby on the Sabbath. You had to prepare it the day before. What if it's cold that night? Do you keep your baby cold? Do you keep yourself cold? Do you light a fire? You know, the, the point is, is, it says not to light a fire. Perhaps, yeah, they needed to prepare for things like that, but maybe there, there was something Jesus was trying to say. Something is weightier. you got to take it in context, in the, not in context, but in the sense of, what is more important? I mean, you got to kind of read it, but you can just put it as a law. We can take the New Testament Christ law and make it a law rather than what he meant. But what, what is what is more important? You need can you not light a lamp if you drop something on the floor and it goes dark and you needed to find that? Well, what if you got, you know what if you needed what if you, what if you needed to do all kinds of things for your right. family and you needed to light a light to see that night? What if you got a sheep that falls <laughs> and be stoned or what? Yeah. You know, it's like. Well, those are the examples that he offered in, in other places talking about this. You, you got to lead your sheep to water. You got to, uh, one of your animals falls in a ditch. What are you going to do? Well, you're going to get the animal out of the ditch. Well, okay, that sounds like work to me. Yeah. I think about the thief on the cross, because we always bring him up, but, but Jesus said on the cross, this day you're going to be with me in paradise. He didn't say, now, as soon as you get down, you've got to go to the priest and offer your uh, sacrifice for the sins. He, none of that, because who is Jesus? He's God. He's the one who forgives sins. It, it's up to him. And our time is gone. Second bell is rung. I'm going to be stoned if I don't let you guys go. So bless your hearts. Appreciate it. It's been good study, I, I hope.